Wardcast episode 136. Go! I'm Dylan Alvento, and today I'm joined by Christina Ness, concept artist at Valve. How are you doing, Christina? Good. How are you doing? I am good. You said as much beforehand. It's a lazy Sunday. It is. <laughs> Those are always nice. Um, I'm just, I'm here. I, so, so I've been going pretty hard at it at the beginning of this year. So I went to MAGFest, GDC, PAX South, PAX East. Oh, man. What a jet setter. Yeah, that's me. Definitely. <laughs> so stylish. And I was so excited to be done. <laughs> for a while and so i was just sitting here on my couch this morning editing the previous podcast and wendy my girlfriend just walks in she goes you know what? i have a wedding to go to next weekend i was like <laughs> fuck fuck that's not what i want to be doing at least you don't have to work at it at least you can just kind of like drink and eat and dance at it but i guess I'll, another plane I, ride <laughs> yeah well this so it's a drive so ah. I, it, but it's a short one but i'm also i don't drink so i'm like permanent dd for people that want me to be Godspeed. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I just. It's, what What's your opinion? What What's the Valve official opinion on weddings? When do, When do weddings get greenlit? Oh man! I mean, not unless it's your third wedding. We only do the first two. So okay. <laughs> nice, nice. Yeah, it's just I don't know. It's not. It's not my scene. I guess I haven't been to enough. Do they get better? Weddings. Yeah, do weddings get better if you go to more of them? I've been to like two in my life. I think I think it depends on like like if you think of yourself at the middle of these concentric circles, I think the closer friends on the inner circles weddings are way more fun than the friends on like the outer circles. That yeah. would be my opinion. This must be because it's like a friend of a friend. Like he was a teammate of mine on the rowing ah. team. Uh and we were in the rowing team was pretty uh close knit, but um yeah, I was just kinda like, Oh, it's Chris's wedding this weekend completely forgot sorry chris <laughs> if chris chris if you're watching <laughs> it's another chris it's another chris it's, that, it's this different chris that he's yeah. talking about totally different now the other rowing team different chris you just don't know him thank god chris has a generic first name <laughs> it's not like oh i forgot about damien's wedding this weekend you're just damien just throws his headphones off and like <laughs> you'll damn it <laughs> I'm just I'm just stricken from the VIP list. There you go. This is how you don't get invited to any more weddings, though. Maybe this is your grand oh, plan. Shit. Oh <laughs> shit! That's a good idea. I should do that. Just talk even more shit about your best buds. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> we're completely off course, Christina. What What are we doing? Um, I think this is about video games. Video it might games? be. Yeah. Um, it can be. Christina, tell me about video games. Tell me about tell me about being a concept artist. What's that like? Oh man. It is I am biased, but it's the best job. <laughs> <laughs> I am biased, but it is terrible. Yeah, Do not yeah. pick this field. I mean, it's 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 hard as shit. Can I curse on this podcast? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. All right. Awesome. Fucking awesome. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. It's uh it is high, you know, just like Want some of the great tenets in game design, high risk, high reward. That's pretty much what concept art is and like pursuing it as a as a role, right? There's yeah. a lot of risk. It's a super competitive field. And if you don't like competing with people, you're gonna have a, a hard time, but a lot very, very rewarding. I enjoy it. I feel like that's most commercial art. 
from what I understand. Yeah, it is. It is not for the faint of heart, especially in games, which is, <laughs> you know, like the, the last studio I worked at, Runic Games, got uh, our parent company shut us down last November. And pretty much the, the longer you're in games, you know, the closer, uh, the, the higher chance that your studio is just going to collapse or get shut down or get bought out or get laid off, right? It's It's a pretty, it's not the most stable field. And so you also have to embrace that aspect of it uh, mm-hmm. and understand that when you, as you kind of enter the industry. So, yeah, I've I've never, I mean, I've never worked in AAA, and I feel like it's not that I don't have any yearning at all to be in AAA, but I feel like, like you said, the risks that are there. Like, if I remain indie, I get to work pretty lean, and then also, you know, work on my own things, but. Uh, but there is there is always that that desire that be like ooh what if I worked on on this project or worked for for this team oh man yeah it's always there and that's kind of like the hunger and the competition and like the I was I always describe like art and like the need to create art as just a compulsion and so if you if you have that at least you know for me speaking anecdotally like I just I just have that compulsion to like create and like expel. art from my brain and my hands and so it's like my number one imperative in life is to like feed that compulsion and if i have to you know weather a really weird entertainment industry to do so then i i just gotta i'm I'm a slave to the compulsion so right i'm like the same way with the the podcast um it's like i super enjoy doing it but also it's like you know you think oh but is it is it successful enough to justify continue doing it and i'm like i don't know but (laughs) it makes me feel good so yeah man dude chase those endorphins right it's funny though because didn't at one point and correct me if i'm wrong didn't you do stuff at nasa i did (laughs) okay that's funny because i feel like a lot of people would treat that as like i've made it i'm done like never moving from this position with like we've made it yeah it was it was kind of uh nutso i Ended up right after I graduated uh, Savannah College of Art and Design in 2014. I uh, interned at NASA um, on their uh, the ISAT2 team doing educational public outreach. Oh, cool. And doing, yeah, like storyboarding and story generation and idea generation and like concepts, right, for um, the ISAT2 team on their satellite that I believe is going to launch next year it's just it's going to study polar ice caps and all that good stuff and like I have I wanted to be an astronaut as a kid I've always as many have like adored and like idolized NASA I think I think we need to get our asses to Mars ASAP (laughs) right you know like godspeed um and so being able to get an internship with NASA it was um I I got it because uh my college SCAD has a program called the collaborative learning center where a lot of like big studios and big companies from all different industries, like BMW, Chick-fil-A, NASA, Microsoft, they come and they sponsor a SCAD class of like interdisciplinary students. And they basically pose them with this problem or this question that needs solving. And then all the students, you know, over the course of 10 weeks kind of present to them different um, solutions and different opportunities. So I was part of a NASA CLC and then once the class ended, I got chosen to be an intern, and it was definitely dream come true. It was really cool. I got to work um, at the Goddard Space Flight Center in Maryland and hang around scientists, climate change scientists all day. 
and it's awesome. <laughs> that sounds pretty cool. Yeah. I was never I was never uh, like a space kid growing up and um and I but I have friends who were very much so space kids growing up. Yeah. And it's it's it there's a fervor about space. Space is the best, man. We got to get there. I don't know. I mean, there's no <laughs> there's no air up there. I think that's a big delimiting factor. But there's also like no air underwater, right? And humans are constantly trying to push the boundaries. Like it's it's like the human condition, right? You got to right. feed the compulsion of exploration, and the greatest exploration is where there's no air. <laughs> <laughs> the greatest risk and the greatest reward. Yes. High risk, high reward. Here, <laughs> look, it all it all cycles back, and all game design is is just like poking different human psychology buttons, right? Yeah, it's fascinating. Yeah, I I guess I don't know. I I've, <laughs> <laughs> I've never had a yearning to go to space, but I've had a yearning to do like something like a trans oceanic travel like not via plane or something, right? Like on a boat. Um which terrifies my girlfriend cuz she hates open water. Ooh, intense. But I've I've read about like the the transatlantic rowing race where these fucking people just get on a rowboat and they row from the the western coasts of africa over to south america it's so intense yeah and you have to keep and you have to be aware of like things like oh how much ballast water do i have and do i have enough rations and everything it's just like actually engineering a rocket because like everything uh. is 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 valued by its weight mm-hmm. so it's it's like well what how much utility is this going to provide me versus the amount of weight it's going to take on on the boat because if i have less weight then i can propel myself faster um I just think that's super fascinating. But I mean, yeah. it's obviously like the same exact applications people have for space travel. It's just, I don't want to leave the atmosphere. <laughs> well, see, I've always said this, and I am putting this out there to the internet at large. I desperately want to go to Mars. I don't care if I'm like first pioneer, you know, obviously can't return to Earth at the beginning. Uh, I've told my mother this, and she was like, don't you dare go. But similarly to how Lewis and Clark took illustrators on their expedition to kind of chronicle, you know, their journey and, and uh, visually, I want to do that on Mars. I want to be the Mars pioneer illustrator. So NASA, if you're listening, take me, choose me. It's just day 30 of Christina's Mars illustrations. Ah, shit. I ran out of red. Yeah, ran it's out just red. all rocks. <laughs> Oh, gonna have to make Mars using this blue pastel. This is gonna be interesting. <laughs> it's abstract. It really is. I actually I learned um, fun fact from one of my coworkers that if if we do create a Mars colony, internet upload and download speeds will be fourteen minutes for about a page load. Woo. Yeah. So if you do go to Mars, get ready for the slowest internet experience of your life. I can barely stand slow internet when I was in like an Airbnb, let alone that right right so that that would be a, i think a limiting uh that would be a turnoff for a lot of folks so being someone that edits podcasts a lot uh i, I deal with like four gig zip files oh I'm just man tossing up and down to the cloud all the time and uh and so i have i have i have fios here so it's like 100 over 100 nice um and while i was at boston for pax east i my airbnb you know, I, I never make an assumption that I'm going to be able to like edit podcasts and upload them to Drive or whatever when I'm when I'm traveling. But I was just like, oh, I'm going to do a speed test, see what this Airbnb was like. It was like 100 down 
and then like four up. And I was like, <laughs> well, it makes sense because like what if you're in like an Airbnb or hotel, I assume you'd be downloading more than you'd be uploading. So I guess good on them for being Thinking smart. Ahead. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah my, my Airbnb had like a noise policy. It had like a curfew. It was like, you can't. Quiet hours are after 9 p.m. And I was like, well, this fucking sucks. It's like, yeah, were you staying like in a college dorm? <laughs> I was I was staying at like uh, the Back Bay in Boston. So it was like near Chinatown or wherever. It's like a nice little area. But like this, this Airbnb was super stringent. It was like, you have to ask us if you want to have anyone else over. And also quiet hours are after 9 p.m. And last until like 8 a.m. Tiptoe. Tiptoe everywhere. These are your socks. Can't walk <laughs> hard on the floor. That's the rule. So you, you said you went to SCAD and uh, you are now the third person from SCAD that I've had on the show because Alex Damrath keeps putting me in touch with all of his colleagues from SCAD. Yes, good. Hi, Alex. <laughs> we had um, uh, Michael Listo on a couple months ago. Excellent. Uh, yeah, I think he was uh, sequential with me. Maybe? No, he's VFX. Oh, VFX. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. yeah so that's what I actually what I was going to lead into is that. I was just like looking up like your portfolio, or whatever. And I looked at your resume before before we scheduled a recording, and I was like, oh, "Okay, she was probably like games with an illustration focus or like an illustration." I was like, "Oh no, she was Sequa." Yes. Ooh, you even got the lingo right. Look at that. So I used to listen to the Sequa Lab podcast. Oh yeah, yeah, with the professors a long time ago. Wow. Yeah, I used to be big into like web comics and and stuff, and one of the artists I followed. They, they were big fans of, of SCAD and the SQL program in general. And then I found that podcast and listened to it for a while. It was really cool. I like yeah. listening to it. it. It's absolutely amazing. I adored my department and I still do my department at SCAD. It's got the best professors. It, I met some of the most amazing people there. It, and I think it is um, a mi- misunderstood program of study as well in the arts. Because like you said, like you would imagine if you're going into games, you want to study games, but sequential is invaluable to any kind of uh visual storytelling that's basically what the program is and you like you you mentioned as much when you talk about storyboarding for nasa and stuff like obviously you 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 were taught that at one point at one point i looked at going to scad possibly for sequa when i was trying to study art at one point but yeah it was cool we had we had um some recruiter come to one of our i was at i was in community college in virginia for a little bit and we had a I'm from Virginia, too. Yeah, what part? Um, I'm from Northern Virginia, Alexandria. Boo. Ah. <laughs> from Virginia Beach. I gotcha. All right. All right. Yeah. Yeah. I went to TCC and there was a uh, like a dedicated art building. And so I did uh, studio arts. So basically just fine arts. But did you did you look at all at VCU's art program? I did. I applied there. Uh, so I eventually went to VCU, but not for art because so I feel so shitty talking about this because like I... I feel like I'm constantly talking about myself on this podcast, which is not <laughs> what I want to do. And also, I just feel I just imagine a listener being like, all right, here's Dylan talking again about how he's a failed <laughs> artist. All right, come on. Oh, no. But yeah, so basically, there's like a two tier application program if you're a transfer student. Um, right. The first one's for the foundation level. The second one's for the department level. Yeah. I think I remember that from when I was like first looking. At- yeah. I got um, I got through the foundation level and then got rejected at the department level. And so oh, man. if you get rejected at any point, you're rejected in totality. It's not like department says no. So you get bumped back down to foundation that you just do foundation again. It's just, nope, 
It was kind of a shitty experience because so I was looking at com arts at that time, which is basically their illustrative track, and they uh, <laughs> the head of the department didn't care enough to s- make sure that he sent me the email, so I didn't ever get the email, and I had to call. <laughs> The school oh of the arts, God. like three times, be like, "Hey, so uh, still haven't heard anything, and it's like uh, late June, and I have to give VCU a response by like now." Oh my gosh! Because the school starts in like late August, and they're like, "Oh yeah, here's this email. You did get this." I'm like, "Nope." It's like, "Oh, okay." It says no. I'm like, oh boy. Cool. Thanks. Uh, awesome. Glad that's sorted. <laughs> yeah. But I, I eventually, I just did uh, computer science and uh, entrepreneurship, and it turned out pretty well. That's solid. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I did a like a high school summer art camp at the VCU campus because I, I um, knew I wanted to go into a career in art for a large portion of my life. My mother has her master's in art history and used to work at the Getty, and my dad's an illustrator and graphic designer. And so I had no hope. Not to be an artist. <laughs> right. And so, yeah. So, I was constantly like, I went to art camp in high school. Ooh. Yeah. Um, yeah, right. And I actually, uh, I at the end of the program, you get like a review with uh, some of the arts professors. And the professors who ran the camp, they were actual VCU professors. They were fantastic. It was a great experience. But at the end of the camp, they basically sit down with you and go over your portfolio. And they were like, oh, what do you want to do? And I was like, I've always been into comics. I kind of want to do comics and animation sounds cool and games sound cool. And they basically told me, do not go here then. Uh, the way that the the communications arts, the com arts is run, it uh, was run at VCU, at least when I was looking back uh, years ago, um, they basically said that the VCU arts program, com art is structured a lot more like a fine arts program mm-hmm. and not outfitted for people who want to go into entertainment i don't know if that's changed i hope it's changed uh but that was the main thing that made me go okay let's look elsewhere at scad and RISD and all these other places right yeah um yeah i also hear good things about RISD or like what's the vsa it's a visual school yeah, of arts yep sva yeah. school of visual arts something yes. like that there's some yes. great ones on the west coast too um for art uh, i believe it's design center i've got a few friends who've been through design center is great um DigiPen, but that's more for programmers. Mm. It's interesting. So when I was at SCAD, I was basically told that um, most artists come from the East Coast and most programmers come from the West Coast. That makes sense. And yeah, and because like a big, big portion of the entertainment industry is centered on the West Coast where the programmers are, it's kind of up to the artists to find a way to get themselves out to the West Coast. And I definitely have experienced that. Yeah. Well, it sounds like you've been all over. I mean, you, you, you did that internship in Maryland and then... Yep. I mean, where where is Runic based? Um, so Runic was up here in Seattle. And so I moved from Los Angeles up to Seattle to work at Runic right at the end of 2015. Mm, okay, cool. And then, I mean, obviously Valve is Bellevue area. Yep. <laughs> I, 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 don't, I don't know how far that is from Seattle proper. It's... uh. On a good traffic day, it's about 20 minutes. Oh, okay. Yeah, so it's not bad at all. Yeah. Hopefully, uh, my PAX panel will make a return at PAX West this year for the first time. So uh, maybe if you're at PAX West, we can meet up. Hell yeah. Let's hang out. Hell yeah. I love Seattle because PAX is here. Emerald City Comic Con is here. Steam, Steam Dev Days, obviously. There's like a lot of... It's just such a 
wonderful concentration of the games industry up here. And the, the longer I'm in the industry and finding myself in the industry, it's like there's just one degree of separation between everyone, right? Like you yeah. and me, we're just chatting about hanging out, both hanging out with like Mike Bithel at GDC, right? And it's like, there's one degree of separation, you know? Um, I, I think it's awesome. Yeah, I think so too. It's 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 interesting. Like I try to think about how it must work in other industries, like right? <laughs> Hollywood or music or whatever. It's like no one, no one in games, as far as I know. Uh, well, actually, I take that back. Uh, I have an example of that. But most people in games don't have like an entourage, right, or a posse, or like a security guard that <laughs> walks around with them and has a little like you know uh, earpiece where he just talks to the other other guards. Um, no, you know who totally would have that? Just just for style points, Kojima. I could totally <laughs> see him doing that. I was gonna say Reggie, but <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, Kojima yeah, yeah, makes sense. I see it. Uh, you see, Gabe Newell doesn't need to do that because he has his knives. He sharpens <laughs> his knives. He he's just the chillest, chillest CEO ever. I love it. Yeah, he sounds cool. Um, no, but the one exception to that. I, I remember is I remember my first year at PAX East, I was sitting down the board game area and they have like the, the lend like library, right? Where you can just check out any board game and you just yeah, sit down at a yeah. table and play it. And there's just this mass of people. It must've been like at least 10 to 12 people just walk by us on the edge of the board game area. And I was like, all right, just a bunch of, you know, random fans or whatever. It was, um, Nolan North. Nolan. Yeah. And, oh, man. but it was like him and his entourage <laughs> and i was like oh that makes sense because he's a voice actor he probably comes more from the hollywood side okay oh, that makes interesting. sense interesting oh my god i i love nolan north uh the, the fact that in it so obviously he plays like you said he plays nathan drake in uncharted and then did you also know that in the last of us spoiler alert he voices the cannibal guy in winter chapter Oh, interesting. I did so, not know. Yeah, so Nathan Drake is a cannibal <laughs> in The Last of Us. I mean, he was probably just channeling real life. Right. Oh, ooh, scandal. <laughs> Whatever. He's 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 sitting pretty on that SAG Afro settlement. Whatever. He's doing all right. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. <laughs> there's 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 a line in the renegotiation, the SAG Afro negotiation that says will not discriminate against cannibals. It's like Nolan, why is this why why did you push so hard for this? Like, it just needs to be in there. It just, just needs to be in there. He just no reaches reason. reaches across the table and puts his finger to their lips and just goes, shh. <laughs> That's how deals are made in the, you in look the, delicious. the big time industry. <laughs> um well, since we're starting up rumors. Yeah. <laughs> Christina, rumor cast. I really want to yes, rumor cast. Rumor cast twenty eighteen. I, I want to talk about let's talk about this Half-Life 3 rumor. That you were involved in. Oh my god! <laughs> that was probably one of the best stories I have heard recently. Uh, it was a little, yeah, it's a little bit surreal. So when when did you start? You started at the beginning of the year at Valve. Yes, correct. I started January second as an independent contractor. And someone someone dug up or found out <laughs> that you started working there. And what happened? Can you <laughs> illuminate? So I updated my LinkedIn as one does occasionally yeah. when you remember that you have a LinkedIn and I have listed, you know, concept artist contractor on an unannounced title mm -hmm. and my LinkedIn probably lists about 
five other, you know, credits on an unannounced title. So I was like, this is this is just a thing, right? And God, a couple weeks later, uh, a conspiracy video popped up with some screenshots of my LinkedIn of unannounced title, you know, like underlined and flipped and enhanced and like all this stuff. And um, that, of course, immediately jumped into uh, the rumor that I was now working on Half-Life 3. They somehow derived that from unannounced title, which I think is actually kind of magical because <laughs> it's it's the first time anyone has given a shit about one of my unannounced title credits, Right. Like, I've got a couple of these, and they just sit there, and no one asks me about it. But this one, people people are really curious about. They're like, uh, Hob, whatever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, oh, oh, the, like the NASA satellite. Like, I guess it hasn't launched yet. It's, it's kind of unannounced, right? But like, oh, no, this one. This is, this is one sentence on your LinkedIn. Hell yeah. That's magic. That's magic. Oh, I'm sure the, the Valve... You know, fan base is just fervor. They just want any scrap, any morsel of like, please, please tell us. Like, I only imagine like how you know the Campo Santo news like responded in their eyes, just like, this is it, this is it. Yeah, yeah. It was, Finally, it, it was pretty funny. I, I keep you know, even now, I actually just this week I had a coworker of mine be like, so. uh how's it like being a conspiracy video? And I was like, I know I had guys like friends of mine sit down next to me at lunch and just like push their phone across the table with like the conspiracy video, you know, queued up on their YouTube, just like wordlessly. And I'm like, I know (laughs) that's the secret. You just got to put unannounced title under everything in your LinkedIn that, that uh, just enhances Mm. the mystery. Mm. Right. And then, and then anonymously just email that forward that to all the press (laughs) outlets. Yeah. I'm sure that'll go over great. Just, just bombard them. Yeah. yeah. Hey, did you know that I'm working on unannounced title? Yeah. Please look. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm now, you know, looking at my LinkedIn, and I have, I've got several of those listed. But uh, it's always, it's always nice when an unannounced title gets some love, right? Yeah, definitely. I, I love <laughs> unannounced title. My favorite yeah, game. God, most anticipated game of every year, <laughs> ever. Game of the year. Well, we are like honestly running out of like those illustrious like in development hell games. Like so like honestly Half-Life 3 is probably like the last one because look, Last Guardian came out, Duke Nukem 3D came out. Like they've all come out now, right? Oh, yeah. So it's just Christina, when you finally <laughs> drop the news, drop the bomb that you've been working on Half-Life 3, everyone's prayers will be answered. But have I been? Not yet. <laughs> it's just it's un unconfirmed. Val- Valve's got a lot of stuff up its sleeves. You know, again, I can't I can't speak on behalf of the company at large, but there's a lot more going on uh, than I think people are focused on, right? So it's uh it's pretty exciting. Well, it's funny because like Valve, and we won't focus on this too long because I I don't want you to have to comment on your <laughs> employer, but I feel like everyone's has an opinion on valve right oh yeah because yeah. they just have so many fingers and so many pies uh whether it's you know you're a fan of the games they've made or you know you are an indie developer and you require you rely on steam for your mm-hmm. livelihood or you're a vr developer and and valve is responsible for one of the major vr platforms Bingo. Yeah. um or, or you're just a big knife aficionado 
uh whatever it is you everyone has an opinion about about valve like very few other especially independent developers hold that much interest by so many people yeah yeah it's a really unique place to be and it's a really unique studio like i have worked as a freelancer contractor full-time um kind of like bounced around a bunch of different studios and valve is still like i i i this word has a bad connotation but it's like the weirdest place i've ever worked in in a good way it's very very interesting they don't do things like normal other studios would do um and for some people that's either a really good thing or a really bad thing and like i have very much enjoyed it it's very different and challenging in all the right ways that's awesome that's that's you know you want that like you know i was a big fan of uh brad muir's work when he was at double fine Mm -hmm. and you know when when he he went to go work for valve you know he just kind of like seemed like he just disappeared off the face of the map because i feel like that's what valve does to people sometimes but um i think artifacts looks really cool and he seems pretty stoked to be uh working on that game yeah artifact is they did a like a kind of a beta test preview for a couple journalists a few weeks ago and it was super exciting it looks awesome i can't wait for it to to get a you know the wide release it deserves and ah it's just great they've got so many talented artists there right including christina ness oh you like that do you like that wraparound thank you yes so flattering (laughs) you're welcome uh you know failed artist over here perpetually jealous of all successful artists see you only fail you only fail when you're dead right like that's that's how you fail as an artist when you can't draw anymore. I don't that's, know. I feel I feel pretty failed. No, I think no, no. I think you it's still, time. You can still draw. It's never too late. That's like one of the the great things about art, right? Like I feel like um, in sports or certain other kind of careers, you can you peak and then it's all downhill after a certain point. But like with art, you're always going to only increase your skill, right? The longer that you are physically, literally alive, so. Chase it. Chase that high. <laughs> high risk, high reward. Bingo. Siri, there we go. It's all, it all comes back to game design. Follow the light, you know, rule of threes, all of those like game principles. They just are wrapped up in human psychology. I don't know if you saw this going around Twitter a little while ago. Um, I think it kind of, well, so there was two, right? So there was one that went around uh, a while ago, like a couple months ago, that was about like the, the, crappy myth that's been perpetuating for a while about how uh you know you got to be successful before you're 30 right it's like you gotta you gotta uh, get to where you're going yeah, right yeah um and that and then one uh more recently that my friend uh callum asked was what what was your game career trajectory like what was your timeline and a lot of people were talking about like oh i didn't start till i was like in my late 20s or you know i i went and did this for a couple years and then i came back and I think about those two a lot, and I think of like Scott Benson, animator on Night in the Woods, and he was, I mean, when Night in the Woods came out last year, I think he was, I think when they started the project, he was like in his early 30s, um, and like he didn't start animating until he was 30. Yeah, the, the other thing to think about is like, it's not just artistic or programming skills that go into making a game, it's also like your social skills and how you work in a team is absolutely vital unless you're going to be like a one-man machine, right? Like a one-man indie guy. Um, And so what I 
I have a theory, right, that I'm working on that, like, the older you get and the more life experience you get and the more, like, just pure social experience you get, the better you are at working on a team. And and so that's kind of why you, I think you see more people in, like, the entertainment industry who are finding success, you know, later in life. And it's it's kind of because they've just had years to accrue the skills to work on a team that other people might not have um, or, or don't, don't, haven't built up yet. Right. Yeah. And it's just about like life experiences in general, like the things I know just in general about how the world works versus what I knew when I was 20 are completely different. And, you know, I, I make different assumptions about like anything in life, uh, especially as it pertains to being a creator or running a business. And, and that just makes, helps make you more sustainable, but also like, you know, the chase, the valor of youth <laughs> is just a marketing thing. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like that wasn't something that existed until like, you know, latter half of the 20th century where marketers was like, hey, but what if we make so that the young people are cool instead of the old people who have all this life experience? What if we make that the thing so we can sell to younger people? And then that just started perpetuating this this. Oh, you got to look young, got to stay young, got to got to be successful when you're young. Yeah, I think it's 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 always interesting especially having, you know, you've got a bit of experience with art school and I I graduated art school. Um it's it's rough seeing, you know, a f- couple years, several years now, you know, post graduation seeing kind of like your peers drop off, right? Like right after graduation everyone's kind of like chasing that 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 youth and that viver and that like the arts job dream, whether it's in games or, you know, other artistic industries. And then kind of one by one, you kind of catch on Facebook or catch up with someone and they're like, oh, no, I'm not doing that thing anymore. I'm going back to school for for pharmacy or for, you know, um, picking up different jobs. And it's it's it doesn't mean the art dream is dead. Right. Because you need to eat and survive. And, you know, there's absolutely nothing wrong with taking, you know, quote unquote, a day job and then working on your art and your portfolio in your spare time. I know incredibly talented artists who did that for years and kind of just ground, you know, nose to the grindstone until they they got, you know, the industry job they wanted. But it is, it is a strange phenomena to see. I, I don't know. I don't know if I have the words to like describe like, um, you know, you're all kind of in it and on the same team and pushing for the same goal and to see people kind of slowly wane off of that is an interesting experience no i agree i mean and especially like you know being an indie developer and seeing from the side of indies like you know being a an artist or a freelance artist is like a little different just because there's a middleman involved right like most freelance artists they're working with a client or they're they're there's someone else who's responsible for getting the money right and then they they are producing work to get paid and then I look at indie developers who they have to be the businessman too, and they have to like, roll, like HR, yeah. yeah. They're like, oh, that. how do I do this? <laughs> and, and and it stinks when when you see that stuff you falter. Like I don't know if you read that that Medium article that the lead developer on Where the Water Tastes Like Wine wrote. I did see that. I did see that. That game did not do well, and he has made zero dollars on it. And he said at the time of he wrote that article, it sold. The number of units it has sold is less than his Twitter follower count, and wow. uh, and I mean that's 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 tough and that's heartbreaking. And 
and, and he's also making like life changes of like i'm moving i think he's moving to new mexico or nevada but it, it doesn't seem like he's giving up the fight which is commendable i i, I don't want to see someone with such passion and a unique a cool vision yeah right yeah uh to to give it up so so one of my favorite stories indie dev stories along that line is uh scott cawthon who did five nights at freddy's okay yeah all right this dude i i'm i'm a huge horror games nut i love anything horror and i so want to work on a horror title before i die but um so scott cawthon used to make kind of christian like religious a little edutainmenty games and he got a review once on some you know religious game that you know flopped didn't do well and someone was like oh man someone was like all oh, your models just look like creepy animatronics man and scott was like kind of at the end of his rope and he was like you want creepy animatronics man i will give you creepy animatronics and then that just birthed five nights at freddy's which is this you know if you haven't heard of it, what rock have you been living under, right? It's just this amazing, unique storyline, unique concept. You know, he he pumped out like a game a year for like four years and four or five years in a row. He made so much money off of it. It's parlayed it into like a book series. And I believe the the television kind of rights are being auctioned or something like. And it's just so incredibly creepy and unique and different and he struggled for a really long time and got a lot of hate comments. And yeah, I know it's like crazy, like a positive story, but he like parlayed and like spun this hate comment into an entire franchise. Right. And like, and, and that's really uh, inspiring from like, from, from like an abstract point of view, right? It's like the guy didn't give up, but like my, my problem with stories like that, not, and I, I, I do really like that story, but my problem with stories like that is that there's nothing actionable there. Right. And and Mike Bithel and I were kind of talking about this uh, when I had him on, where he was just like, last me, he was like, what what do I do to be successful? And he ta- he said like, uh, go back to like 2012 and be me and make Thomas was alone. Like I don't <laughs> like I don't know what to tell you because your your situation is vastly different than mine. Well, you know what I would say to that though is it's it's all about like working within your strengths and like not just within your strengths but th- but within the box of who you are right like and and that sounds like really stupid but like think about like you know any of these successful indie devs but like you know Scott Cawthon Mike Bithell Davey Whedon they all had a specific skill set and do do a specific tone and a style of game that they're very good at right like in Cawthon's example he he does these like very stiff animations that look animatronic-y so he's like, okay, you know what? I'm going to lean into that really hard. I'm not going to spend years trying to skill up in some other, you know, role or whatever so that I can make this dream game. Instead of the, the you know, making myself better to create a dream game, I am going to look at what I already have and make something out of that. Right. And I think that is what gets overlooked a lot in favor of the magnum opus that everyone is chasing right yeah that's 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 good advice because i had the same thing i remember when i did my first game jam um which was 2014 2015 and uh you know i had i had tried a couple prototypes i was like learning unity and you know i didn't really nothing i made i really liked and uh so i sat down with the guy i've been making games with at the time 
And 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 the theme for the game jam it was a Lundari, and the theme for it was Connected Worlds, and I was like, okay, instead of and, and we brainstormed for like hours, right? Like hours and hours and hours. Like you know, the game jam started at like nine, and we went until like probably midnight or one. And I was like, uh, all right, well, this is why I can do really well in Unity. I can make things move, and I can make them disappear. And so we just kind of synthesized stuff down to that. And then we made the, the, the game uh, we eventually made and did really well, like in terms of the voting, because you can vote in Lumdari and it got like 17th in innovation, I believe was the rating it got. But uh, nice. yeah, um, and I've been working on it since then, um, trying to make it like a full release. But uh, yeah, but no, I completely agree. And that's see, and, and that's really actionable. It's like, what, what am I good at right now? Not yep. what will I be good at in the future? Exactly. Exactly. It's, it's, there's also, you know, this idea in art that, I, you know, I was taught at SCAD. I, I really, really value my, my education experience there, which is a whole nother topic about, you know, art school versus self-taught. But I was always taught like finished, not perfect. Like just fucking finish it and just fucking ship it. It will never be perfect. And if you try to wait for it to be perfect, you won't ship, right? And that's true, you know, with with comic pages, illustration, like just finish it and move on to the next thing. Because the next thing you do, yeah, podcasts, right? The next thing you do is going to be way better than what you're currently doing. So finish what you're currently doing as soon as possible to get on to the next thing, right? I, I, I touched on it before, but I just hate this like magnum opus ideal that what you are working on right now has to be like, your life's goal and the greatest culmination of your whole talent like if that is what you are chasing after you will not find it right also it's it's kind of depressing right because like i think <laughs> about i think about like musicians or something right that i really like and i like their entire discography but like they pick like the second or third album they ever made and it's like no nope, that was their magnum opus that's where they peaked and i'm like could you imagine going up to like a, a career artist and being like nope this work you made really really early in your career was the best that you've ever made i was like i i wouldn't want that yeah exactly exactly and like again that's like kind of the compulsion like you must keep creating and part of creation is finishing (laughs) whatever you're working on right and just getting on to the next thing and keep churning through that cycle and i think yeah yeah just you, you know don't 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 wait to skill up before shipping. Just ship it, and then with your newfound skills, tackle the next thing. Christina, I like this advice of just ship it. <laughs> a fuck it, just ship it. It's just but yeah. The problem is, it's <laughs> I don't feel like it's high risk, high reward. Is it high risk, high reward? Um, I think I think it is. I think okay. it's shipping anything is high risk, right? Especially especially in the indie sphere. Um, especially if you're doing something different and weird and, you know, bare bones, small crew. I think it's always high risk. It's high risk. Uh, some people would argue going into arts, right? Even though, um, you know, I kind of tell a bunch of my, my friends back from my hometown, right? Like no one, a lot of people play games, but no one's really gone into the industry. But it's like games are an intersection of tech and entertainment, right? Yeah. So while there is money to be made there, getting get quote unquote getting in is like super weird right and and there's a there's an amount of high risk high reward to just throwing yourself into any career i think especially in entertainment well as long as we can stamp high risk high reward on this advice you gave i think i can sign off on it 
Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, I agree with you too about how, yeah, it's 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 really, you know, people hate the old adage of it's not what you know, it's who you know. But yep. it's it, it feels truer every day. Yeah, there's there's it's interesting. There's definitely an aspect of luck to it. And a lot of people get angry about that. But what I found when it comes to art, because that's all I can really speak on, is... 100% it's about having the right portfolio at the right time and just showing the right person at the right time the right portfolio. Um, and I find that happens over and over and over again. And sometimes you can engineer that a bit, right? Um, like back in 2015, uh, I had been a outsourcing contractor for Riot Games for almost two years. And they had an internal kind of art reorg and they said, okay, we're kind of not going to be um, giving work to external contractors for a bit while we do this internal restructuring. And so I was like, okay, shoot. But this is probably a good kick in my pants to find something full-time because uh, I have a lot of really good friends who just, they are kind of full-time freelancers in games uh, doing concept art. And they are really good at working at home and kind of juggling clients and they do very well for themselves. And that's amazing. But I don't function that way. I really need to be around a team and embedded in a team and like physically there, um, I think, to do my best work. And so I was like, okay, this is my cake in the pants to find something full time. And I applied, I sent in just a resume to uh, Runic Games. And this was before they'd announced Hob. They weren't even, they didn't even have any concept art jobs listed. I just kind of cold sent them something because their email was on their website, right? Um, and then a few months later, a uh, concept art position did open up with them and they they got back to me and contacted me about it. And so I by then they had announced Hob. And so I was looking at kind of their, I think it was like PAX Prime 2015 announce release trailer, announcement trailer for Hob. And I was like, oh, shit, I can hit that art style. And I, you know, quickly looked at my portfolio and it was almost two years of like league characters. Right. And I was like, shoot, <laughs> what they like, I know I can hit this, but it's not represented in my portfolio. So I just took five days out of my life and dedicated it to putting together, um, I think it was about like four example pieces of things that I would design in Hob. And I, I like was up super late, lost sleep. I tanked a relationship for these five days oh. and sent them, sent them off, you know, just a little email like, hey, like, you know. I know you guys are, are considering me for this position. Thank you so much. Here's some of what I would do with Hob, right? Here, here's here's what I would love to see in Hob. And I went to bed and I woke up the next morning to an interview request email. Yeah. So sometimes you just if you're if you are at the right time but don't have the right portfolio or vice versa, you need to engineer that for yourself. Is the uh, the concept art in question the one that's your pin tweet on Twitter? So. That pin stuff, that was for uh, release after Hob got shipped. But anyone who's on their computers right now, if you go to my art station, <laughs> artstation.com slash Ness, N-E-S-S, um, I do have that little mini project I did for Hob. It is called, um, I think it's like the, the fifth thing I have listed from the bottom up on my art station called um, Hob Environment Concepts. And it's called fan art, right? The, the description of it, it says some environmental fan art of Runic Games' new title, right? So 
so that that you know can snowball into the larger discussion of like what's fan art is fan art good is it harmful like is it the worst thing you could do for your portfolio like no you know in in games a lot of what it is is like just hitting the house style and and being able to kind of like mimic and then add on and like contribute to what is already laid as a baseline there and if you can prove to the studio that you can do that that looks really really good for you and so sometimes you just gotta do that (laughs) yeah people talk about that uh with on the programming side too it's like oh how do i get a job at bethesda well start fucking around with the creation club stuff and try try modding fallout and see if you like it and if you do well keep working on it yeah so like currently at valve i cannot tell you what i am working on but i can tell you the team that i am with because twitter knows this information therefore it is public knowledge but a couple years ago, Gabe and the Valve folks scooped up a bunch of the developers from Kerbal Space Program. Okay. And they squad. Are, squad. Yep. They're awesome dudes. And I am on their team. And um, half of them were just Kerbal Space Program modders who then got hired because they were so good at modding Kerbal, right? And then and then they got picked up, you know, back back with squad. And now they're at Valve, right? So That's cool. Yeah, so like I I am a big big proponent of like fan art and fan creations and stuff um because that sometimes is how you you really catch the eye, you know, of an employer. Yeah. Um and and that's great to hear that uh there's some devs from squad working there because I oh, remember yeah. remember hearing that their their working conditions weren't the greatest. It is a fascinating horrifying story and they that those guys uh the kerbal dudes definitely have like a heartwarming rags to riches story <laughs> and i'm sure like a big chip on their shoulder well, i mean like in, in a good way like i'm i'm sure they're very uh self-aware of like what's a good working relationship yeah. <laughs> and what's a bad working relationship oh yeah yeah they, they know all about kind of employer employee contracts and 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 interactions yeah well cool um i have a question yeah i am curious so you know i I do a lot of game jams and i know a lot of people that are uh are programmers primarily and then like they they will incorporate programmer art into their into their game jam ideas um because they don't have really like you know artistic backgrounds and i and i've talked to i've spoken to programmers in the past especially when i was doing computer science and it's it's really interesting kind of the delineation between like i'm a programmer and i'm interested in you know database architecture or linux development or things like that versus i'm a programmer but i'm interested in front-end development or game design or game development and it was always interesting talking to the programmers that felt like they weren't creative right yeah, Be- because I feel like programming is kind of inherently creative, um, and it might just been because I came from an art background, so I could easily be like, "The engine's just my brush, and the <laughs> and the game objects are like my pigment." But so, but like it's it's it it does feel like that that way a lot, right? Like it does feel like like oh, it's th- there there are comparisons to be made, and so when. When I hear when I hear programmers being like, "Oh, I'm not creative," or "I can't I can't think visually," I find that kind of disheartening. But I'm also curious from 
the art side from like your perspective how you view programming because i remember before i learned programming i found it completely intimidating and like impossible to parse and hey i still feel that way about a lot of programming like when i have friends that talk about shader programming i'm like i i don't know whatever go do your thing i guess i'm gonna sit over here and be stupid um but i am curious like especially since you you know you work with developers yeah uh i mean for me programming is magic right like it just things just happen you sit down at a desk for a bit and then suddenly there's the whole new like system in the game right um i i definitely am lean heavily on the pre-production side visual pre-production right like storyboarding even script writing uh concept art design sheets stuff like that and i feed and primarily work with the modelers but um i guess my my closest touchstone to programmers are like tech artists right because tech artists kind of have one foot in both fields. And so I feel like, ah, yes, I can do a paint over for you of like what the shaders could look like. And like paint overs are something that I do for for modelers and for other concept artists. And like, that's how we work. And I can't, I can't lend my paint over skills to, to other programmers and engineers. But yes, the tech artists can also <laughs> use my paint overs, right? So um, it's, it's this really interesting and highly sought after role, right? Like everyone's looking for a good tech artist always um, because they kind of can bridge this gap and like help communication between the art team and the engineering team. I don't know if I've ever worked on a team that has like had flawless like communication and like a really great working relationship between the engineers and the artists just for pure matter of fact that they don't cross over as much as they should right um and and it's on the worst side they can be very secluded and just kind of do their own thing and then come to the larger team and be like i made this instead of you know like just like a good working relationship like a good relationship you know that you would have romantically uh games are all about communication it all comes down to that right so um i think I don't know if this answers your questions at all, but I think tech artists are kind of vital in that aspect of keeping the lines of communication and the understanding and having everyone be on the same page open, right? I think you found a better answer to a better question <laughs> than the question I, <laughs> I proposed. So that's okay. The um, Yeah, I, but I agree with you about like multi, multidisciplinary uh, people. I feel like that's that's Valve's repartee yeah. a lot too. Because I mean, obviously when that, when that uh, employee handbook was leaked out a couple of years ago. I kind of like just ate up what it was saying. I was like, yes, T-shaped people. And yes, you should be really deep in one camp. And, and I kind of view myself in uh, that light, especially since I've, I have so many different backgrounds. Yeah. And, and I'll tell you, like, I think a lot of studios do stuff similar to the valve handbook as in like, this is our manifesto. And like, this is our company culture. And they just talk a lot about, what it is there and the reality of working there isn't even close to like <laughs> what they put forth to the public. But I right. can say with 100% certainty that everything in the valve employee handbook is 100% what it's like at valve. Like they are very, very true to what they say they're doing and they're going to do. Right. There so, are in fact wheels on the desks and you that, can, I, I had that experience around. the second week I was working at valve. We, unplugged all our desks and wheeled over to a new cabal and plugged it in and and reformed our team space like i had that experience it is true confirmed right (laughs) 
Valve rumors confirmed. <laughs> Desks have wheels. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's interesting. Obviously, having not been in the studio culture, I I didn't know that that was that was kind of like a big thing that people chose not to follow. I remember when when uh I I would I'm thinking now of like a visual metaphor of like someone's a studio's employee handbook and there's a page titled Gamergate and it's just like the shrug emoji. It's just like, I don't know. You want to get into that? Is that what this is turning into? Well, I was just I was just <laughs> I was just thinking about uh hearing a lot of stories from especially obviously female employees at studios uh talking about like, yeah, when Gamergate happened, there was no no nothing. No one, none of the managers decided we should talk about this because this is an important thing. Just kind of just like glossed over it. And, and that's all I wanted to say on that is that I, <laughs> I think that's super shitty for large studios to not bother making employees feel welcome and good and protected in a environment of hostility and harassment. Yeah, it. I, I will say when it comes to that, I have never felt... Anywhere I've worked in the industry, I've bounced all over. Um, anywhere I've worked, I have never felt any kind of hostility or like weird vibes or anything off with the other, you know, male coworkers I work with. Pretty much like if you're if you're a dev in the industry, um, what I've experienced is they get it and they are very like when I was at Runic, everyone was very very protective of the women who worked there, um, which was so nice. And any kind of off-color interactions I've had or like kind of uh, strange stuff has always happened uh, between interactions with fans who are not developers and not in the industry. To that point, uh, one of my uh, colleagues and panelists on my PAX East panel, uh, Mike Footer, um, who used to work at Game Informer and now he's doing like, he, he wrote a book with Mike Bithel and now he's doing like freelance press currently. Um, him and his significant other, Amanda pharaoh i believe is how you pronounce her last name um they saw some demo for some shooter uh on the floor and the developers were giving the demo and then they killed amanda's uh avatar the the character and uh, then yes. proceeded to teabag it and mike footer on twitter was like hey developers when you want to demo your game maybe not teabag the female journalist that you're showing the game to maybe that doesn't look too great I saw that tweet when it first when we first tweeted it and I was like, Yeah, I agree with this, obviously. And then I saw that tweet like come back a little bit later and the ratio had like <laughs> skewed in the wrong way. I was like, What the fuck is going on? So I, I spoke to Mike privately and he was kinda like, Yeah, we're we're taking a break off social media for a while because this thing just kinda got out of hand. And I think there was like some weird rumor that got perpetuated or some sort of like false messaging. I I, I didn't get the specifics. I just I talked to Mike very briefly when he was like, yeah, we're just going to, we're not going to be on social media for a while. Cause I was like, Hey, the, the panel's up. Cause I recorded the panel. Um, he's like, yeah, I'm just t- taking a break. I was like, okay, I hope, I hope you're feeling well. I hope Amanda's okay. I'm not, uh, I, I don't want to speak for her, but I think what I remember is that like, she said, you know, I'm not like angry or attacking them, but like, this is just this, this action, right. Or this mentality is just so ingrained in the culture that even in a professional setting, there's still people still act this way right so i think that's more the issue yeah it's like a big question mark it's like i don't know like it's 2018 y'all like why (laughs) what's going on but yeah it's shitty and it it is shitty and in some way like you know i really 
I really respect the women who got caught up in Gamersgate. Um, I think they all are super admirable and did the best that they could in a really horrible, unfair situation. Um, and I, but I also feel that that was kind of a tipping point. And just from my perspective, I feel that it made a lot of guys aware of what was happening and a lot of like, like quote unquote, like good guys, like good dudes who are, who genuinely may have been unaware. Uh, and like friends of mine, I've had long conversations with about Gamersgate who they're kind of like, Hey, Hey, tell me, tell me about like how this makes you feel right. It's actually started really good conversations. Um, and I've been able to reference it at, when I talk to friends of mine or, you know, peers of mine about being a girl in games and kind of like what they can do and stuff. So it was a horrible situation that I think was bound to happen with some of the culture that's around games. And I don't wish it upon anyone, but I think it is an important touchstone um, when it comes to these kinds of conversations, if that makes sense. Yeah. And I, and I agree. Like, you know, I have colleagues that, you know, aren't on social media or specifically Twitter and they're like, why would I be on Twitter? Twitter seems kind of dumb. I'm like, if it weren't for Twitter, I wouldn't be aware of, you know, the plight of African-Americans. I wouldn't know about all the harassment in the LGBTQ community and Mm -hmm. the treatment of, of, of women. And I mean, and you know, we can specify that to games and we can generalize it to society. Uh, and I don't, I mean, I don't tweet a shit ton. Like I'll reply to someone, make a stupid joke and stuff. Um, but I, I follow a lot of people in a lot of different spheres and a lot of different communities. And it makes it makes me more what's the word like a more this okay this sounds completely <laughs> egotistical it makes me a more worldly person i guess for lack of a better term like it you know if i just sat here in my one bedroom apartment in richmond virginia i would know very little about things that don't immediately tie to myself being a straight white cis male in my mid twenties. Um, well, I, I think what that rolls into, right. Is just this idea that like the internet is the greatest invention that humans have ever created. Right. Like, like what we were, Ooh, let's tie it in. Let's tie it into what we were saying earlier. How like, okay. So communication is like fundamental to a romantic relationship. It's fundamental to a game team and communication is all that the internet is. Right. And like twitter.com is just this, huge platform for instant communication from anyone who just has access to Wi-Fi, right? And this little magical device, right? Like pocket computers, you know, and, and all it does is let us just talk and like scream into the void. And sometimes the void grabs onto something, right? And and (laughs) sometimes the void shouts back. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. When you shout at the void, sometimes it'll shout back at you. And, and I think that is like, so magical i keep saying things are magical but like the internet's amazing and twitter is a very pure quick example of kind of the double-edged sword that that instant communication can allow right and like you know i think it's and there's also obviously with like gamergate as an example or anything else or harassment in general like it's a double-edged sword because because anyone can shout back basically as the void yeah. Uh, you, you you're exposing yourself to a lot of shitty things. So I would describe the internet as high risk, high reward. If, <laughs> if you know what I mean. Let's tie it all in. Yeah. 
<laughs> cool. Awesome. Well, we're we're at an hour ten on oh, my boy. end, Christina. Yep. Um, I know I don't know if you want to keep going or if you need to sign off or if there's anything else you'd like to to speak on. Um, everyone should just plunge their lives directly into Frostpunk if they haven't played it already. Do you like it? Oh my god, it's like I I'm obsessed with kind of like Cold War history. And it's this like crazy literal imagining of like cold and then post-apocalyptic survival war. Oh my God. It's, it's amazing. The UI is beautiful. It's so kind of self self contained and like referential in the sense that like every aspect of the game points back and like props up the main themes and the tone. And it's just a really well-made, well-packaged little large big you know whatever game it's so nice everyone should play frostpunk mike uh mike showcased it on the panel at east and it sounded really cool it's awesome it's so good i watched like five hours of a streamer play it on friday and now i just want to live in that world like like i want to i want my my creativeness to live in that world i don't know i don't want to actually be in frostpunk (laughs) you don't want to be a child slave worker yeah right no i'll be the dictator like ruling down all the the edicts for loyalty how about that all right yeah all right the the despot ness i got it yeah let's do it sounds good (laughs) (laughs) cool awesome well i think that's a good place to wrap it up then christina yeah good good to talk to you thanks for having me on yeah no problem uh it was awesome i think the advice you gave about you know focusing on what you can do now was probably some of the best I, I've never <laughs> like that 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 solidifies like probably what's been floating in my head forever, but it Good. like I never had it in like a, a manageable communicative form. Good. Um do it. But yeah, ship yeah. it. Ship Fuck it. it. <laughs> Fuck it. Ship it. It's done. Gold. Move on. Yep. G- GM. <laughs> Perfect. Uh cool. Well, Christina, where can people find you? Golly, in the in the void of the internet, shout and I'll shout back. Right? Shout. <laughs> I am on twitter.com. Uh I am at underscore underscore yeah, yeah. underscore underscore four underscores Ness N E S S. Uh that's a super fun tag. And then uh, if you go to my website, just Christina with a K, Christina Ness.com, you can just get linked to all my other junk and see my scribbles and all that good stuff sweet awesome <laughs> you should check out their scribbles they're cool looking scribbles yeah there's some colors sometimes your your twitter pic cracks me up every time i see it <laughs> well again it's me shouting into the void this is <laughs> this is an ongoing internal mo- monologue i have with myself it's a good theme that's <laughs> Thank a good you. that's a good through line to have in your art yeah yeah just just scream forever that's all it is well, if you enjoyed this episode <laughs> and you want to listen to other episodes, you can find them at ward-games.com or at Ward Video Games on Twitter or just search Wardcast online on your podcast app of choice on anything else. Uh, we're having a lot of cool guests. I have some other I have some other people potentially lined up that should be on soon. Uh, Harris Foster. Uh, community manager at Finji. He should be on soon talking about stuff. I'm now an I'm now an admin on the Finji Discord. Uh, 
<laughs> Harris was like, hey, I made you an admin. I'm like, oh, okay. I've never done anything like this. So hope I don't mess it up. Those guys are so good. Everyone should play Overlands and Night in the Woods yeah. and, and look forward to, to Tunic. So cute. Tunic Tunic is cool. I should potentially have Dicey on soon. You uh, should. He's he's great. I you know, think he he talk about a one man machine, right? Yeah, no he's kidding, amazing. right? I love him. Um and he's very modest about it. Like someone asked him on the Discord the other day. I was like, "So you just do everything yourself?" He's like, "No, no, 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 no. Like Felix does does the business and we have power up doing the audio uh, and and, and uh, he just I mean, we were talking earlier about like the, the bridge between engineering and art and he just beautiful art and i'm sure beautiful and like programming right like oh <laughs> yeah his his he's always uh whenever his accounts on on the discord it's always like playing blender <laughs> i'm playing good. blender or i'm playing unity <laughs> good i'm glad yeah awesome but yeah go check out that discord if you want Do um it. and also check us out on the internet shouted us into the void <laughs> do it we might shout back christina thank you so much dylan thank you for having me of course we'd love to have you on again D- awesome tell me when <laughs> definitely will all right bye bye